Too often, faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Hey, welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzer. Great to be with you as always. Couple things, and then we got to jump right into this conversation. The first thing is the audiobook for Bring It Home. It's on sale this week. It's like $3.99. That's a fraction of the price it normally is. It's normally like $78. I'm kidding. I don't even know quite what it normally is, but it's more than $3.99. So if you want to get your hands on the audiobook of Bring It Home, go to Amazon and get that today. I'll put a link in the show notes as well so you can go directly there. The other thing is, and this leads into my conversation and my guest for today, is that May is mental health awareness month and I know we hear a lot about mental health but what about mental health and how it's directly related to the church to Jesus to church gatherings well because it's mental health awareness month I thought who better to bring on the show than my good friend Dr. Justin Meyer and this man is a of course he's a doctor he's also a pastor he's a mental health professional he runs a church called The Journey that is trauma informed and resilience building and he just he just knows his stuff and he's got this project coming up that we're going to talk about at the end of this interview that we all need to know about and I'm just so excited for all of us to get on board so that we can be become healthier and more Jesus-like surrounding our faith and faith gatherings as well. So enough of me jabbing. Here is my interview. Please enjoy it with my good friend, Dr. Justin Meyer. I am so excited to have just a, a guy that, that has come to mean an awful lot to me in a short period of time. And that's kind of how you know, like, I mean, I don't want to over-spiritualize anything, but I also don't want to under-spiritualize anything. Sometimes you just meet those people and it's just like, oh yeah, we're supposed to know each other. We're supposed to be connected. We're supposed to be kindred souls. We're supposed to, on some way, shape, or form, do this life together. And there's just been a you know a handful of people in my life that I, I feel like that's happened to even you know in my whole adult life. And a couple of years ago, I met this guy. He's been on the podcast before, Justin Meyer. And we met through a, a mutual friend at a conference and just have stayed connected over the last, I guess, year and a half now or so. And the thing that I love about Justin is he's rethinking the way that that we do things. And so he's not a person that has rethought his faith to the standpoint like I'm getting out of church, I'm never doing it again. He's he's a person that has taken his convictions and his doubts and his thoughts and just reframed the way that he acts out spirituality, does his pastoring at his church. And the specific thing, and if, for those of you who have heard him on the podcast before, you already know this, but the specific thing is that his church is trauma-informed, and that's just something we need to be very honest with. Um, there's so many people that are that have trauma. Everybody has trauma in their lives. Now there's a lot of people, I won't say now, it's probably always been this way, but there's a lot of people who have trauma because of their faith background, because of their church background. Yet, I think all of us, or I should say, mo I won't 
speak for everybody. I'd say Justin and I <laughs> believe that the gathering of Christ following people is important. And so in order to do that in a healthy way, we have to move forward understanding on some level how to deal with our own trauma and deal with the trauma of people walking into just being in that we may engage with in any way, in any shape on any given day. So anyway, all that to say, I'll stop talking. I'll stop talk, uh, blowing smoke up your rear end and uh, just say, welcome to the podcast, Justin. I'm, I'm grateful to be with you again, Matt. Uh, it's so interesting because I'm, I'm actually thinking of the people who walk through the doors of the journey where I pastor, but also like even in within your gathering, uh, of friends that get together to read, to study, to ask questions, uh, you know, in, in your local area and just churches in general, you know, people have trauma from relationships or work or physical trauma. Maybe they've been in a car wreck or something and that's, that's stored in their bodies and they transport that into the faith space with them. Uh, every so often when they come, whether it's every week or once a month or whenever you meet them. But then there's also the people who have experienced spiritual trauma, right? Uh, when I look at the landscape of Westernized church, we have actually reproduced a system that causes trauma in the lives of, of, the, of the church members. And so when People leave those faith spaces, which oftentimes are unsafe faith spaces, and they don't want to totally reject Christianity. They start to look for something else. They come to a gathering like yours, or they come to a gathering like mine, but they're bringing that trauma with them too, and that is stored up in their body. And it's also then uh, confusing to them on some level because we are trying and working hard to create a, a safe faith space, but yet we're still doing similar things. Like we're still talking about the Bible and, you know, in our gathering, we sing songs, we take communion, we do those things. So there's this wrestling that takes place, but oftentimes all the people that show up are dealing with something pretty critical in their lives or have something stored up in them that they haven't dealt with that you have to be cognizant of if you're actually going to help people, which I think is one of the main driving aspects of the church. Yeah. I, I love that thought too. And and I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, cause you're, you're deeper and way deeper in the space than I am, but we have to work really hard at not being offended when people, uh, when something like triggers a response based on somebody's trauma and we have no idea what they've been through. They've just shown up in our lives or in a community we're a part of all of a sudden something happens and they leave or they say something kind of harsh and our initial human response is to be offended by that. But then we have to remember that. I mean, I was, I was just listening to a podcast on the way home yesterday and like it brought up some thoughts in my mind and I just kind of like it messed up my head for a, a couple of hours because of, you know, so it can be such simple things that can trigger a response from some part of your life. And so, um, you know, I think one of the things I think of as we walk into this space of, of thinking about being trauma informed uh, is simply, you know, let's let's uh my wife and i talk a lot about this right now of like working even in our marriage about not being offended by one another 
you know, yeah. because it's it's coming from somewhere. It's you know, she's not she's not trying to say something, you know. Oh, maybe she is, but usually she's not trying to intentionally hurt me. I'm usually not trying to intentionally hurt her. Right. And uh, and so we've actually been having a lot of conversations about how to not be a how not to how not be offensive, how not to be offended. And I think that's maybe a part of this trauma informed piece as well. Oh, absolutely. And and here's one of the most interesting things. So we as a, a faith community. Uh, have really been, and even me personally, let's, let, we could talk about me personally. I've been investing myself on trauma informed and resilience building for 10 or 15 years. Like I've, I've spent the time I've been educated on it, you know, I, and, and, and I, yes, because it. just listeners, just so you know, this is Dr. Justin Meyer to me. <laughs> he's just my friend, Justin, but don't miss that. Don't you miss that. No, but, but have invested so much and then someone from that comes in off the street or someone who who uh, uh, is coming from another faith community comes in and attacks what we're doing or is triggered by something and they have and you're like, no, 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 we're trauma informed. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so it's easy even within this because we've invested so much time and effort on becoming trauma informed when someone wants to point out one of our weaknesses it's easy to get offended right mm -hmm. and so we have to cognizantly like work through hey someone's trying to help us someone's not trying to hurt us when they identify maybe this weakness that we hadn't thought of yet and so yeah and and it's easy as as church people who have an established community when someone comes in and and challenges an idea or suggests maybe something is done differently the the faith community tends to react in a protective mode and that comes across as very defensive right because they've spent the time cultivating this community and it's theirs Right. And that that's the mindset, whether whether we're deconstructed people who who now gather in some different ways or we're regular church people who've been part of the system for a very long time. We take ownership in it. And so that ownership then translates into why do you get to tell me what to do when you're a stranger? And and so we have to be careful and understand that really faith communities, I forget which Archbishop of Canterbury said this, but he said the church is the only institution or organization that exists for the people who are not its members. Hmm. Right? And, and we have to reorient ourselves back to that understanding. Jesus didn't come to earth for himself, but he came to earth for humanity. And the, the church is supposed to exemplify that sacrificial, self-giving, compassionate uh, characteristics of Jesus as what we're called the body of Christ. And so being trauma-informed, I think, helps keep that more at the forefront. But if we're honest about it, we still make mistakes and we still get protective. And so it's just a, a constant process of reorientation 
or even for a lot of people learning for the first time what it means to be trauma-informed and resilience building. When people come to the journey uh, and they, they decide to hang out with us and stay and become part of the community, uh, we have to introduce trauma-informed and resilience building ideas to them. And while it has become more more streamlined at the journey because it's really who we are. When I go and consult with congregations or visit with congregations on this topic, it becomes very foreign. And I, I think that's really why you and I are, are talking today is to talk a little bit about something that I and some others are working on uh, to, to actually help uh, congregations start to not only have pastors that are trauma-informed and resilience building, but also get that down into the everyday lives of the members of our churches or our faith communities so that when those people come in uh, that haven't been part of us, if something triggers them, we know how to respond <clears throat> with grace, compassion, and love instead of becoming defensive instead of seeing it as an attack and instead of doing something that may worsen the trauma that they've already experienced. Yeah. It's, it's such a catch 22, this idea that we want to be proud of what we believe in. We want to stand on what we believe in. We want to, you know, be thankful for our community. And, and that has a danger of us wanting to protect it then. And I've seen so many, so many Christians who feel like they have to protect Jesus. And I'm just like, Jesus is cool, man. <laughs> He's got himself. Like, like yeah. you just need to work on loving people. But, um, you know, I think that does. And, and then again, so you put this in context, somebody from the outside comes into your community or just comes into your life. This doesn't have to just be church related. Right. They do something uh, because of what they've been through, say something. I mean, I've been in this situation where I've said something completely unintentionally not knowing their story and i've wildly offended them based on the context that that came out in what i said but say you're somebody who's been through some sort of significant trauma in your life you come into an environment somebody's protective because their beliefs or because of their community or whatever that person's uncomfortable with you because you don't fit in the the perfect little space that they're comfortable with and that's all of us we're all comfortable in certain spaces that's not like these people are bad. <laughs> We're good. Like I'm more comfortable around certain people than other people. We all are. And, um, and then all of a sudden we say something or we do something or we ignore or we uh, dismiss. And then all of a sudden we're just like heaping extra crap on their shoulders that they came in trying to probably get rid of and now they walk yeah. away worse than what they come in and so you can see how this web is is a bit tangled and and a little bit challenging um before moving forward quick definitions trauma-informed resilience building if you were to give us some definitions of those two things because i still think even though there's a lot of conversation around definitely trauma-informed, but also resilience building. I still think a lot of us don't have a clear understanding of what's being said when those those phrases are, are mentioned. Right. So trauma is... Let me put on a different hat real quick. <laughs> trauma <laughs> is a significant event in a person's life, uh, either physical 
or emotional that changes the processing in the brain. So our brain is divided into parts and the best processing that a person can do is in their frontal lobe, right? That's where we're the most logical, things make sense, they go together and we process things clearly. As you go further back in your mind and when you move the processing back further in your mind, it's because uh, you've either experienced trauma or are in the midst of a traumatic experience, the, the processing moves back closer to your amygdala, right? Because in traumatic ex experiences, our bodies need to do something different than just process and think about something. If a, if a car is coming at you, you need to have uh, your amygdala fire where you have an adrenaline rush so you can get out of the way of that moving car, right? So it's good that the processing has gone back. But sometimes traumatic experiences are so significant or happen repeatedly so often that your processing gets back stuck closer to your amygdala. So you're only processing things through fight, flight, and freeze, right? And, and so you have to find ways to push that processing back forward. So that's what trauma is. Being trauma-informed is having an understanding, right? It's, it's more of maybe a better way to describe it is, is taking a posture of understanding that the people that you interact with probably have a lot going on in your life that you know absolutely nothing about. And, because, all... and let's stop there for one second, because maybe you can relate, maybe listeners, you can relate, but I know when I'm struggling, the, the main thing that I do, and I think I work really hard at it. I work really hard to make sure that you can't tell, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not like you'll see it all over somebody's face or their composure or anything like that. Sometimes somebody can look perfectly fine yet in their mind and in their being like they're just holding all of this stuff you know because we're really great at masking stuff so what you just said of like somebody next to you could be going through something and you mm -hmm. you could have no clue because they literally could look like everybody else in the room and so having that posture then if something happens that triggers them so you know you're sitting next to the shiny happy people holding hands and in a second, they're like, what the hell are you doing, <laughs> right? Like they've experienced something that has flipped a switch in them. Uh, usually our response is, what, what did you just do? Or why are you doing that? Instead of asking the question, what has happened to you that is causing that emotion to happen? Yeah, like, uh, where like is this coming from? Maybe. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. So, so, Two things that I've learned in my education, the first of which is that all behavior is communication, right? No matter what the behavior is, they are communicating something. And if we take that posture and perspective, we can dig deeper into directly what is going on, but trying to figure out the root cause of what is going on. The second thing is all behavior is right. Now, that doesn't mean that all behavior is morally okay, but it means that all behavior is justified in the mind, right? Like I'm doing this because in my mind, I think it is what is right. 
at this moment. And so when that is our posture, if in the midst of the traumatic experience that is going on amongst us, we can step back and take a breath and begin to process that, we can help the person deal with the trauma and also not traumatize them more. Right, Because oftentimes when people are triggered, what we do, both in faith communities, but I'd also say in the world, is we either try to shame the behavior, correct the behavior, or, or minimize the behavior, which all then piles more trauma onto the person. Right, because then their experience isn't valid, or they're an awful person, or whatever, whatever they're processing yeah. in their mind, you know, and that just makes things worse, and it also causes them probably never to come back. So that's the idea of being trauma informed: is understanding or having a posture that says you don't know what people are going through. Don't jump to conclusions when something bad happens. Try to be grace-filled, be compassionate, and walk with the person to understand that experience. Yeah, that's so good. And I I love that part that you said that, you know, so often what we'll do is we'll minimize or we'll heap shame, not necessarily intentionally, but if we're not, if we're not trained or if somebody doesn't share with us how to do this, because we need to know how to do this just in the world in general. If we don't know how to do it, we won't know how to respond. And if we don't know how to respond, we won't respond well. That's just the, that's just true. And so just keep that in mind, you know, as you're going through your everyday life, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, after going through some counseling myself and, and, and getting to know you, I'm trying to be very intentional about that piece of like trying to understand, okay, that just happened. And then how do I immediately respond in a way that doesn't say like, I'm offended by that, or I can't believe you did that, but more of like a, okay, that had to have come from somewhere. Like you're not just that pissed at me suddenly, like that came from somewhere and then trying to get that conversation to a a healthy place. So anyway, so that that's being trauma informed and, and there are communities uh, of faith, both Christian and elsewhere, uh, that have have kind of embraced this idea of being trauma-informed. And it's not a new idea. Like I said, I've been investing myself 10 or 15 years. Churches have been learning about this for 10 or 15 years. It's just starting to catch on now. But here is the important thing that I think we forget as as leaders of communities of faith, is that the church's job just isn't to be cognizant that people have experienced trauma, but that the church is supposed to be a place of hope, help, and healing without judgment. And resilience building is the idea that the church can actually bring healing to people's lives when they come from traumatic experiences, right? Because that processing has been moved back to their uh, back to their amygdala in their mind, they're they're not processing through through clear channels, and so the church can actually take uh, common practices to the church, which can be utilized as therapeutic practices to help people move that processing back closer to their their frontal cortex or their frontal lobe. And there are so many benefits. A lot of times we think that that this is just a mental thing, 
right? That that we're just helping people uh, heal uh, with with mental health uh, struggles. But actually, when a person is stuck processing that closer to their amygdala, and it's constantly firing in that fight, flight, freeze response, what happens is, is it causes addictions. Uh, it causes problems to happen physiologically with the body. Like you have adrenaline racing all the time. You have high blood pressure. Uh, you don't process food very well. You think you would be very skinny, but actually what you're doing is your body is is storing up nutrients because it's scared and it doesn't know when when this fearful activity is going to stop. So you suffer from obesity, you're uh, more likely to have addictions because you're trying to cope with this, this constant fear or this constant anger. So we find ourselves uh, medicating with alcohol or drugs or whatever. So there are not only mental health benefits when we talk about becoming a resilience building, but there are physical benefits also. And these, these ideas for treating trauma or helping people cope with trauma, that's, that's probably a better phrase for the church is helping people cope with trauma. These are are practices that have been ingrained in the church since the very beginning, right? The, the, we're not we're not running out and, and getting something from outside of our faith traditions, you know, which people are very protective of. You know, they they may call what we're doing touchy feely science or something like that, which I don't have a problem with. You know, mm-hmm. I, compassionate science sounds good to me, but. But instead, what we're doing is utilizing practices that have been part of the history and the makeup of the church since the church was founded when Jesus ascended into heaven, right? So we're on the day of Pentecost. We can all argue about that theologically sometime. But, <laughs> but, but we're utilizing practices like meditation and prayer and mentorship or discipleship. We're, we're utilizing things like fellowship. Uh, we're, we're utilizing exercises like gratitude, uh, you, you know, lots of things that Christians should already be doing, but they've kind of fallen to, to the, the wayside because in the church today, the most central aspect of the gathering of the community is singing some songs and hearing a person talk for 30 minutes, Right. you know? And so all those other practices have, have kind of gone by the wayside. And so there are that doesn't let's just be clear, like as followers of Jesus, like that wasn't what he was trying to enter. Like you don't see like Jesus, like setting up the sound system. And, you know, it's just he wasn't focused on either music or telling a sermon. You know, those didn't he was focused on humanity and he was focused on caring for those the people who came in front of him. He was definitely focused on teaching the especially that group of, of people around him i don't think he was focused on teaching the masses i think they just happened to be there um mm-hmm. but let's keep in mind that this thing that we kind of have created over the last couple of thousand years the what we have put as as important like you said music somebody talking at you for 30 minutes that that's not necessarily what we see in the the life of jesus as him trying to promote doesn't mean it's bad i'm no for singing i think corporate singing is one of, can be one of the most powerful beautiful things whether that's in church or whether it's in a concert and i think learning from somebody who has some expertise 
all for it, right? It's just that sometimes we put those things at the forefront and when there it should be a much more well-rounded approach to our spirituality and our gathering. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to pretend like what we do on Sunday morning. We even still meet on Sunday morning. So I don't want to pretend like what we do on Sunday morning is so so different like if you would come mm-hmm. to our church you would notice a few differences but i mean we still open with a couple well we don't directly open but with a couple of songs but we do a couple of things and then we go into a couple of songs uh we we do a community prayer i speak a message now it's more dialectical teaching but uh, there's still a message mm-hmm. and we still practice communion every sunday so i mean what I think is so important, I love that you're saying that. And most people that I'm seeing doing any form of gathering, any sort of fellowship space, most people are are retaining some of those pieces just like you are because just because we've had some struggle with the institution of the church or with a pastor or with a leader or whatever doesn't mean that we have to throw out all of these things. Cause I mean, boy, I mean, how much did so many of us that aren't going to church anymore? Like how many of us just love that time of singing? How many of us would just eat up sermon upon certain, like I used to watch, you know, five sermons a week online when I was, you know, just so those things aren't bad. And so it's, I think it's incorrect to just throw, it's the typical throw the baby out with the bathwater thing, right? We don't have to throw communion out because we were in a church that we got hurt that served communion. Like (laughs) those are two separate things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's jump. Keep going. Go ahead. Well, okay. And, and and so uh, I, I was saying, so some of, of the, we do some of the same things that a traditional church service would do. But one of the things that we do different is we open with a mindfulness moment, mm. right? So we we practice the idea of meditation, right? The, the scripture tells us in Philippians 4, that 4, 8, and 9, uh, about meditating on things that are good and lovely and praiseworthy and of good report, all those, those good things. So we take time to meditate. And when we do that, when we, we take the opportunity to take a mindfulness moment, what we're doing scientifically is stimulating the hippocampus to either give uh, a serotonin bath to our brain or a dopamine bath, depending on the exercise. And that then pushes the processing back closer to the frontal lobe. And so that's just one of the small ways we do it. But we literally do that every time we gather. So whether it's a, a Sunday morning worship service, whether it's a board meeting, whether it's a small group meeting, our youth group does a mindfulness moment every time it gathers. And the mindfulness moment isn't the end all be all, but it puts us in a posture, at least to get a little bit further away from the amygdala. We like to say to be able to process more clearly from the Holy Spirit, from the word of God, and from each other. Like that, that is our goal is to help people hear clearly from, from the Holy Spirit, from the word of God, and from each other. And when when you're processing at your amygdala, you're definitely not doing that. Right. Uh, but when, but when you've moved closer, and and here's the thing, a mindfulness moment isn't going to fix you long term. 
right? So there are definitely practices than we do throughout the week and opportunities for people to, to tap into to continue that healing process. But if that is at the forefront of what we do, it, it is a reminder that that's the direction our community needs to go throughout the week. Yeah, I love that. Okay, let's jump into this project that you're working on that will be revealed when the time is right in the near future, we'll say. But, um, you know, there's definitely some some movement forward in the idea of training clergy more, uh, training pastors on the idea of being trauma-informed resilience building. But one of the challenges always in a setting like that is there's too much too much of the work is on one person's shoulder. Anybody that's ever been a pastor before knows that that is unsustainable for most most people. Um, so it's vitally important that we also get the knowledge, the training, the information, the understanding in the hands of all of us. You know, whatever, right. just if we're coming to a faith community, we should have some sort of understanding on how to do this. And I think, again, it's, this is well beyond just because we're a part of a faith community. I mean, if you get this information, you can take it into the into the world with you and it will make you a, a more Jesus-looking human being. So just explain a little bit of this project that you're working on to try to um, just train the masses, if you will. Yeah, I've, I've literally taught thousands of pastors about being trauma-informed and resilience building. But after they've received the training and they've gone back to their churches and they have these ideas to try to implement things, they come back to me and say, Justin, no one gets it. Like, can you can you come and, and share with our church? And sometime I can do that. But even when I share once, that doesn't take care of everything. They're like, oh, maybe this is a good idea. But the actual idea of becoming trauma a trauma-informed and resilience-building person is, is very far from the understanding of the average person who just shows up to church. And so to help combat that issue, I and some others are working on a video curriculum for churches to help people become trauma-informed and resilience-building. It's, it's the whole idea of multiplying ourselves, right? And the way to get it into people's hands uh, is 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 vital and to be able to create networks for people to continue to ask questions and to share and to build i think is very important so i'm working on a video curriculum and then a team to continue to mentor and help and shape the process of churches so what we've done is we've taken a curriculum we're actually partnering with uh the, the, the Missouri Department of Mental Health. I live in the Kansas City area. And we've taken one of their many trainings on being trauma-informed and resilience building. And we're, you could say, massaging it or, or permutating it to be able to be used in faith spaces, right? Uh, because our faith spaces are unique spaces. Uh, rarely do people get together and do what we do uh, on Sundays or whatever day of the week we do it in any other cross-section of society, right? It, it just doesn't happen. And so contextualizing, I think that's, that's the best word, contextualizing this training, I think is vitally important. And so what we're doing is we're breaking up this curriculum into hopefully 10 sessions that aren't too extremely long, 
where people, one, learn about what it means to be trauma-informed and resilience-building. Two, ways that they can deal with their own trauma and outlets. Because I'll tell you, I was just talking to my my wife about this. Uh, Sometimes we've experienced so much trauma uh, uh, the general idea is, is, oh, you need to go help someone else out because that'll help you get over it. And while sometimes that is a good plan, sometimes you are so traumatized that going and helping another person going through trauma only traumatizes you more. Mm-hmm. So we want to help people deal with their own trauma and get them some resources where they can deal with that, uh, both some practical everyday uh, opportunities they can use to cultivate some healing in their own life, but also some resources outside of themselves that they might want to connect with uh, so that they can garner some of that healing. And then the last part of the curriculum is training them on how to, one, deal with traumatic situations in their communities of faith, two, then what does resilience look like every day in the life of oneself and in helping disciple, care for, have fellowship with other people in communities of faith? Yeah, so good. I'm so excited. Get going. Get going on this. We got to get this out. This, this, feels, this feels needed. Um, and I, I love the idea that this one project that you're doing has the capacity, you know, you're only one person. So yeah, you can go train, 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 train. But if we can get this in a video format that we can get the hand into the hands of spiritual leaders in the hands of any leaders, really, um, I think it has the ability to really change the landscape of, you know, um, faith gatherings and truly help us. You know, I think all of us deeply desire yeah we desire to overcome our own challenges but i think i think most of us honestly desire more to be a blessing to other people around us and to sometimes the challenge is feeling like you don't have the tools or don't have the knowledge to truly help somebody especially when they've been through some stuff and um and so this just has the the possibility of of making such a an impact. And, and I think about spaces that I've been in, in, in the past, both as a prison chaplain and a pastor to people who were living on the streets and things like that for a number of years, how valuable this information could have been to my team and could have been to the people that I've wor- been working with and the volunteers and things like that. Because, you know, when you hear somebody's story, sometimes you just don't know what to do with it. Or when somebody gets triggered and they respond, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put it in air quotes inappropriately sometimes we don't know what to do with that and Mm -hmm. we can love people so much better if we just have some sort of baseline understanding of what to do in those scenarios so that we can become you know the the type of people that can truly i mean that can truly respond appropriately and again think about the people that jesus the people that it was written down about that jesus interacted with randomly on the streets or as he was traveling These were people who were, for the most part, wildly traumatized. Could you imagine the trauma that would be being a leper kicked out of your community? Could you imagine the trauma being the woman who had the 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 bleeding issue uh, and all of that did what that did to ruin her life? The woman who, you know, had multiple husbands, the woman at the well, we call her, right? Imagine mm-hmm. like the trauma, even the disciples, Mary Magdalene. Yeah. 
Like imagine all of the trauma that Jesus was speaking into. And so now we have you helping us to really be more Jesus-like to speak into people's situations of trauma and also not just speak into them, not just respond appropriately, but then to help, as you say, resilience build from that so that we can become as healthy as we can to be, you know, the best forms of ourselves in this world. So I'm just pumped. Well, here is a, a an illustration that I think is, it, it really helped me. It was a situation I was involved in, but because I've been working on this, our, our, our group in, in Odessa, Missouri works a little bit different, but I was visiting a church, uh, a pastor uh, had gone through some of my training, wanted me to talk to his leadership. And literally, this is just a random Sunday I'm attending. We're in in the regular worship service. This is a traditional church, not a church plant. I think it's been around for a hundred years, you know, or more. And uh, we're 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 worshiping and something. And during the message, this lady, who I come to find out later, is a visitor. This is her first or second time that she's ever attended, and she just starts sobbing, like and and big sobbing, not like just small tears and quietly like heaving during the message well the pastor has become trauma informed and resilience building but no one else in the congregation has and so what do they do they just look and they just watch right as this woman sobs and so i get up and i go check on her and see what she needs if there's anything we can do i help get her calm down well because I'm doing that, the service then returns back to normal, right? And people can focus on the message and this issue is being taken care of. People come to churches because they want to find hope. They want to find safety. They want to find healing, right? And so this woman comes expecting that to be there. If I'm not there, she's just isolated. People just look at her right? Until the service is over, nothing happens. And she uh, continues to feel shunned and shamed during that moment. And so those are the critical reasons someone, if not a few people, need to be trained in that situation. If a person comes to the Journey Church, I don't ever have to stop or no one ever has to stop doing what we're doing so someone can be cared for. People know that if someone is having a breakdown or a traumatic experience, we know to go and help with those situations, right? And that's what we need in congregations, because if if people are not ministered to in their lowest points, all we do is reinforce the idea that the church is just a club for people who already belong to it. And we re-traumatize people who are going through those traumatic experiences. So we have to get this information out so that people do know how to help each other out. Because here's the thing, even in congregations where people know each other, they will shy away from a person who's having a traumatic experience or episode in the moment because they simply they don't know what to do. And that is what causes people oftentimes to leave our communities of faith because they don't feel safe and they no longer have hope and they 
feel like they have shame and they've been shunned. So, yeah, it's it's critical that we get this information out to everyday people so we can simply do what Jesus called us to do, which is care for one another. I cannot thank Justin enough for being on the show today. So good. So much to think about. It, my mind was just spinning through the whole interview because everything he would say would make me think of something else. I could have I could have kept talking to him all day long. So I told him, hey, I'm going to call you later. Um, if you want to get connected with Justin, the best way to do that is simply by going to the website Rethink rethinkfaith.org rethinkfaith.org and you'll be able to find him there and I'll just be sure that when this project comes out that we will let everybody know about it and how to get their hands on it sound good? Uh, you can find me at my website which is mattkinzera.com again don't forget if you want to get the audiobook, this week's the week to get it because it's on sale I think it's $3.99 if I saw that correct from my publisher special thanks to Lake Drive Books for reminding me or letting me know when things are on sale and you can find me on Instagram at Matt Kinzera. You can find me on Facebook at Matt Kinzera. And you can also find the podcast Chasing Goodness on Facebook as well. And until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.